good morning. Now let's make sure I've got this on and that everything, okay. All right. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to spending the morning with you and just having this worship time together. Um, some of you may know that the school holidays are approaching. If you have children in school or if you know someone who has children in school, school holidays are approaching. Now, some kids have actually finished. Um, the Year 12s uh, finalised their exams this week. I think, I think they are actually done completely now. So there is a group of students who are finished with high school and are on holidays until, well, uni or job or whatever happens next year. Other students still have to get through the year. But for me, I'm excited. I love school holidays. Um, I'm one of those parents who actually used to love school holidays because it meant I didn't have to get up and make lunches in the morning and do all that running around. It was like, oh, we can actually relax during the holidays. And so I love, I love holidays, but what I love especially is planning holidays. Now, where should I point there? Right. I love to plan holidays. I like to have something to look forward to. And I like, I like doing that sort of just being on the internet, researching places to go, places to stay, what to see, what to expect, what's the weather going to be like in six months when I'm there, you know, all those things. I just love to plan holidays. And um, two years ago, we went on a really, really good holiday. And there's a picture here, hopefully of a ship. Okay. So we did a cruise in December 2016 through the Mediterranean. And I have to say, even though it was winter, because it was December in Europe, just look at that sky. We just had the most wonderful, wonderful weather. Um, we only had one day of rain on our cruise, but we did a seven day cruise through the Mediterranean. And we started in Rome. We went to Palermo, Malta, Barcelona, Marseille, Genoa, and then back to Rome. So we just did a loop around um, the Mediterranean, the western side. Now, the route, of course, planned by the shipping company. We didn't get to just choose our stops and, you know, off we went. We went through the book and, you know, you kind of pick, oh, these are the dates that work and we've got seven days and so this is the cruise that we're going to do. And we booked, uh, it was almost 12 months in advance we had booked this cruise. Now, if I'm honest, I am almost certain that when we originally booked this cruise, there were some different destinations and sometimes shipping companies do that. If you've ever been on a cruise, sometimes the ports of destination might change as the comes closer. And so we knew we were definitely departing from Rome and landing in Rome. They were the definites. And we were pretty excited about, you know, Barcelona. That sounded pretty exciting and Marseille. But I'm I'm positive that Malta was not actually originally on the list. It was one of those ones that I think got changed because I don't recall it being in that in that initial, oh, let's do this cruise. Um, and then when we sort of, it was getting closer and we're looking, it's like, Malta, oh yeah, what are we going to do in Malta? What happens in Malta? You know, I don't know. But anyway, what was surprising to me was that my favourite stop was um, Malta. It was very unique there's a picture there of us actually heading into um, the silent city and no cars in this particular part of Malta. Um, what I loved about Malta was it was unique. 
the influences as we looked at the landscape and the architecture, you could see this European Mediterranean vibe, but you could also see this Middle Eastern and kind of African um, architecture. It was a really interesting um, place to visit. Now, we were only there for probably about six hours, which is not long enough really to see anything. This is us as we actually pull out of the port. So the picture's a little bit, it's a little bit blurry. Um, I wish we could have stayed there for more than those few hours. It, it just wasn't enough. And for me, I know I talked about Malta quite a bit after this cruise. And it's definitely a place that I, I want to plan to visit again. Not, not just for six hours, but actually to, to go and spend time. Preferably maybe when the weather's a bit warmer so we can swim in the ocean. But it was just an amazing, amazing place. Now, of course, once I got home, you want to know more about Google because that's what you do. And um, I Googled Malta and what I discovered was that Malta is an archipelago in the central Mediterranean between Sicily and North African coast. Now, it's a nation that's known for historic sites related to succession of rulers, including the Romans, the Moors, the Knights of St. John, the French and the British. And it has numerous fortresses and megalithic temples. And that's why you kind of see all these influences in Malta, because it has been conquered and the landscape has continued to change. So although I may have never planned to go to Malta, I was really glad we ended up there. And, and as I said, I know it's a place I want to visit again. Have you ever ended up somewhere that you weren't planning to go? Sometimes this isn't a geographic location. It can be a metaphorical Malta. So maybe you're planning to go to university but you got sidetracked and you never quite ended up there. Or maybe a routine visit to the doctor ended in unexpected life-changing news. Or maybe a letter that arrived in the mail. Or maybe that lifelong friend who broke your heart. Maybe a million other things happened and you ended up somewhere you never planned to be. You ended up in Malta. What do we do when we end up somewhere we never planned to be, when we end up in, in Malta? Today I want to share a message from the book of Acts on ending up somewhere you weren't planning to go. Before I, I launch into this message, and if you have Bibles, you'll be able to follow me um, in Acts 27 and Acts 28, but I want to, I want to kind of set the scene on why, why we're going to be reading from Acts 28, what has happened to lead to this moment. So this story sort of begins a bit earlier in Acts, and it happens when Paul comes back to Jerusalem. And he's in the temple and he's with some of his, I guess, disciples. And the Jewish people see him in there. They get really angry and they arrest him. And they want to kill him. And they accuse him of actually bringing Gentiles into the temple, which Paul hasn't done. But this is their accusation. And so Paul is, is thrown into prison. And he actually ends up in prison in Jerusalem for about two years. During this time, Paul gets to chat with the governor Felix and, and they develop a bit of a relationship. They get to know each other. And even though the Jews are plotting to kill Paul, he manages to avoid these plots. Now, after two years, Paul has shared his faith with Felix during this time. It's time for Felix to actually move on. And Felix is succeeded by a new governor. And this new governor's name is Festus. 
And soon after Festus settles into Jerusalem, he decides to meet with Paul and find out about this prisoner who's been kept here. Again, we have this plot to arrange for Paul's death by the Jews, but this is foiled and it's at this point that Paul makes an appeal to the governor Festus and he says, you know what, I actually want to be brought before the emperor's tribunal. You know, these, these Jews are trying to kill me. I, I, want to be, I want to be brought to Rome. I want to come before the emperor. Now, before this happens, Festus brings Paul before King Agrippa to let him know what's been going on. And after some discussion with Paul, the king actually says, you know, Paul, Paul is innocent. And if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we would have just set him free. But now that he's actually appealed to Caesar, we're going to have to stick him on a boat and we're going to have to send him to Rome. And so Paul is put on this, on this boat as a prisoner. Paul is a prisoner. He's heading to Rome by sea. And it's during this voyage that a terrible storm hits, a storm which ends in a shipwreck. Now, before we, we really get into this shipwreck, I just want to share something with you from um, a commentary, uh, the New International Version, the NIV application commentary, which makes some notes on this particular shipwreck journey. So let me just read that to you. Because this journey is covered in a great amount of detail. In fact, it's surprising to find that there are 59 verses devoted to a journey in a history book with a strong theological orientation. As we seek to apply this passage, the most important questions to ask are, why did Luke devote so much space to this journey? And what does he want to achieve from this passage? The author goes on to say that there could be three main reasons that this passage is in a great amount of detail. I'd like to share those three reasons with you now. So first of all, Luke was there. The reason that there is so much description about this shipwreck journey is that Luke was present. He was actually on the ship and so this, this experience is vivid in his mind. So just picture for a moment something that's happened to you, an event, something. Maybe you were in a car accident. Maybe you stumbled in a really public forum and you still can remember the embarrassment. But when you are present in a moment and when something happens, it is so vivid. It is ingrained in your mind. I was in a car accident when I was 12 I still remember. I remember the temperature that day. I remember how cold it was. I remember that it was raining. I remember everything about that moment because it is just stuck in my mind. So for Luke, who is writing, he was there. And so this journey is captured with so much detail because he was present. The second reason that it could be in so much detail is that Paul is shown as a leader. Am I leaning, pointing in the wrong direction? Right. Even though Paul is a prisoner on this ship, what comes through in the accounting of this story is that Paul is still a leader. And in fact, he becomes a bit of a hero in this shipwreck story. So when Luke is writing, we know that he's present. That's the first main thing that we see in this recounting. And we see how, how Luke wants us to see, sorry, it wants us to see Paul as a leader. So we see Paul as a leader. And finally, what we see is that God is sovereign. 
God's sovereignty is at work. Now, although I would say that this theme runs right through Acts, this is something that is super important when it comes to negotiating a plan that seems to have gone wrong. So God's sovereignty is at work throughout this recounting, this shipwreck story. All right, so we're going we're gonna to dig into the scriptures now. So if you would like to follow along, I'm going to be um, reading from Acts 28 in a moment. So you can, you can be ready. So Paul is sailing to Rome. I've already covered. It's not ideal conditions, as mentioned. He's a prisoner. And then a storm hits while they're on the seas. Everything that can go wrong goes wrong. We've got waves. We've got fear. We've got supplies being thrown overboard. And in Acts 27, in verse 9, Paul tries to warn them what's going to happen. Paul says, since much time has been lost and sailing was now dangerous because even the fast had already gone by, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I can see that the voyage will be with danger and much heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Since the harbour was not suitable for spending the winter, the majority was in favour of putting to sea from there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, where they could spend the winter. It was a harbour of Crete facing southwest and northwest. So they've been caught in some bad weather. They've stopped for a little bit. And Paul is saying, we, we should actually stay here because we're going to get hit with worse weather. And, and in fact, it's going to be so bad that it's possible we're going to not only lose the cargo in the ship, but also our lives. But did anybody listen to Paul? Nope. Paul is a prisoner and the centurion listened to the pilot and the owner of the ship and they decided, no, we must continue, even though the weather's looking bad. And so they do continue. And even though Paul had tried to warn them that it's a bad idea, that their plan of reaching Rome is going to be severely compromised, He's ignored. Now, I do want to point out, Paul is someone that we revere his writings. We read and we think Paul was a really great man. Do you think that at any point Paul would have said when they shipwrecked, I told you so? He does. Because it seems that Paul is not above stating the obvious. And in verse 21 of Acts 27, Paul stands up and he says, you know, we've been without food for a long time, but men, you should have listened to me. If we had not set sail from Crete, we would have avoided this damage and loss. I love this. It's just a little detail, but I love it because Paul, Paul, even though he's a prisoner, he still stands up and says, I told you we shouldn't have done this. So the plan of reaching Rome, the storm has hit and really the plan of reaching Rome is in tatters. They're not they're not going to make it. And in fact, the ship is being bashed around so much that when they finally see some land ahead, they decide that they're just going to run the ship onto the land. But even that plan doesn't work because the ship strikes a reef and it is broken into pieces and everyone has to swim and float onto the land. So everything that could have gone wrong with this ship has gone wrong and now they are on this land. They don't know where they are. And this is now where we're going to start reading from Acts 28. I'm going to start reading from verse 1. 
After we had reached safety, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us unusual kindness since it had begun to rain and was cold. They kindled a fire and welcomed all of us around it. What are we doing in Malta? This was not the plan. We have lost our ship, our cargo and almost our very lives. And now we're in a strange place called Malta, not where we are supposed to be. And the locals, the natives, as my version reads, and in fact, when you look at the Greek word, it's the barbari, the barbarians. We're on an island of barbarians. What are we going to do? And yet these barbarians have shown us unusual kindness. So we've ended up where we never planned to be, but the locals are being really good to us. So let's keep reading because it seems to this point that the detour, although unplanned, seems to at least be working out okay now that they are on shore. Paul had gathered a bundle of brushwood and was put in fire when a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man must be a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Can this voyage, can this journey, can this day really get much worse? Paul is trying to help build a fire. He's accepted that their ship has been wrecked, that they are on this island, on this place named Malta, far from Rome. And he's like, well, I'm just going to get on with it. I'm going to help build a fire. And so he picks up some sticks. He throws them into the fire. And what does he discover? There is now a snake dangling from his hand. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how many bad days or weeks, or months, or years even, you've had. We all have bad days. We all have things that go wrong. We all have an idea of where we want to go, something we want to achieve or accomplish that somehow gets shipwrecked. For me, I can tell you that there was a moment at the end of 2013. I began... In, in the early, in the beginning of 2013, I began my studies into uh, ministerial studies. I quit um, a corporate job that I had and I took on a position as a lay pastoral worker, which was about 10 hours a week. And it was, for me, this ideal mix of study and, and work. And it just seemed like, yes, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. But at the end of 2013, I, I had to accept another role and I started working in an office again, doing admin work. And I just didn't want to be there, but I had to be there. And I felt, I felt like I had been shipwrecked somewhere I didn't want to be. And I was kind of really angry about it. But there I was, apparently off course again, when I seemed to have been heading in the right direction. Sometimes our best laid plans do get smashed to pieces. So what are we supposed to do when things don't work out the way we planned them to go? 
Let me tell you what Paul did when the snake clamped onto his hand at the end of what had been a very bad day. In fact, an unplanned couple of years maybe. Paul, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were expecting him to swell up or drop dead, but after they had waited a long time and saw that nothing unusual had happened to him, they changed their minds and began to say that Paul was a god. Paul has a snake dangling off his hand. And what does he do? He just shakes it off. He just shook it off. He just took it in his stride. Okay, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm not where I plan to be. I'm not in Rome. I'm shipwrecked and I am stuck in Malta. And it looks like we're going to be stuck here for a while. So let's just get on with it. He shook it off. He shook off the snake. Do you find it easy to shake things off when they go wrong? When things don't go according to your plans and when you find yourself in a situation you didn't expect or ever wanted to be in, can you shake it off? And because Paul is Paul and the barbarians are now fully paying attention to him, what does Paul do? Paul brings the gospel. He brings Christ to a new people. The retelling of this shipwreck incident continues. And I'll just read to you now from verse 7, Acts 28, verse 7. Now in the neighbourhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It so happened that the father of Publius lay sick in bed with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and cured him by praying and putting his hands on him. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They bestowed many honours on us, and when we were about to set sail, they put on board all the provisions we needed. Three months later, we set sail on a ship that had wintered at the island, an Alexandrian ship with the twin brothers as its figurehead. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. Then we weighed anchor and came to Regium, and after one day there, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found believers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. The believers from there, when they heard of us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier who was guarding him. Paul took advantage of his time in Malta. And he started a healing ministry in that time. Now, he may not have planned to go to Malta. He may not have planned to end up in Malta. But he made the most of his time and found that he could serve and share the gospel even in this unplanned destination. It took me about seven months in that job in 2014 to accept that I was there for a reason and a season. The detour was necessary. I wish I had seen it sooner and I wouldn't have spent seven months grumbling about having to be somewhere I didn't want to be. 
So how is it that Paul was able to not lose heart and not lose hope? How is it that Paul could shake it off, the storms, the detour, the shipwreck, the snake? How can we stay encouraged when we seem to be way off where we thought God's plan was sending us? I believe the answer is found in Acts 27. And I'm going to read to you from verse 21. For last night, no, sorry, from verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete, and thereby avoided this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So verse 23, for last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before the emperor. And indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we will have to run aground on some island. I want to summarize these verses with two words. Two words that I believe carried Paul through this detour. Two words that kept Paul focused on his mission and plan. Two words that kept Paul from becoming discouraged no matter what came his way. Do you know what these two words are? Revelation and faith. Paul had a clear revelation of who his Lord was. He had received a revelation of Jesus, which started on the road to Damascus and through his entire ministry. So when an angel of the Lord appeared to him on the ship, it was yet another revelation from his Lord and Saviour Jesus. Paul had a clear picture of God, a clear revelation of who Jesus is, and this revelation powered his ministry, but most importantly, it powered his faith. So when the angel appeared and said to him, Paul, you must stand before the emperor. You must stand before the emperor. And God has granted you safety. Paul didn't hesitate to believe. And that's faith, isn't it? You believe without hesitation that what God says will happen, will happen. Even when you don't see how, even when things are going so bad, even when you're imprisoned or your ship is caught in a storm, even when you get shipwrecked and even when you end up in Malta, even when a snake attaches itself to your hand, Jesus has powered a faith in you that allows you to hold tight to the promises, the vision that God has revealed to you. You can believe that no matter what roadblocks you come up against, God will fulfill his promises. He will bring to completion what he started. He will bring you to Rome, even if you end up in Malta for a while. In the NIV commentary, the writer continues to to expand on this passage and I just would like to share with you what he writes. 
Being agents of hope. Since Paul believed so strongly in the sovereignty of God, he could look beyond the bleak situation and anticipate good to come out. A vision of sovereignty may not come to us at once because our natural tendency may be to panic in a difficult situation. If so, we must grapple with God until we come out of that situation and are able to go to the people with a word from God rather than with a public display of anxiety. The psalmist in Psalm 73, for example, pondered the mysterious providence of God that can permit the wicked to prosper while the righteous suffer. After a sustained reflection on his doubts, he said, If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. As a result, without publicly proclaiming his doubts, the psalmist went to the sanctuary to battle it out with the Lord. There he received a vision of God's sovereignty and in the rest of the psalm he praised God. We too must grapple until we see things the way God sees them. And this will give us the confidence to be agents of hope in a hopeless world. So what does this mean for us? Can we stand in the face of discouragement? Can we stay positive when everything seems to be falling down around us? Can we hold on to hope? I started by saying that there are possibly three main reasons that this shipwreck passage could be in such detail. That Luke was there, that Paul is seen as a leader and God's sovereignty is at work. But I want to respond to these three now on a more personal level or a more practical level. Instead of thinking about Luke being present, in any shipwreck, we are present in our own personal shipwrecks. No matter where we find ourselves, no matter what this shipwreck might be, the truth is we will be there. And like Luke, we will see clearly and vividly the extent of the shipwreck voyage and experience. We will see every detail, everything that went wrong. Many of us have been through shipwrecks in our lives. I don't think any of us are immune. And I know for myself personally, I've been through my own set of shipwrecks. And I could explain each of them in a great amount of detail. What I could have done, what I should have done, what I should have said, what they could have said, why did they say this? Our shipwrecks are ours. And the pain is ours. And the pain is real, even if others can't always relate. What we have to understand is that in any shipwreck that we encounter, we are present. We can't avoid it. We will be there. In any shipwreck, we can choose to still be the leader, just as Paul did. Paul was a prisoner on that ship. He was a prisoner. And yet he stood up and led and became a hero in Malta. We too can step up in our shipwrecks. No matter who we are, we can choose to take a leading role in this disaster. We can choose 
to stand up and not run away. We can choose to shake it off and do the best that we can do. We can choose to be the leader in our shipwrecks. And finally, God is sovereign. And sometimes this can be the hardest thing to acknowledge in a shipwreck. The hardest thing. How can God be in control when everything is going wrong? When we have been smashed against the rocks and when the waves keep crashing over us. But I repeat, God is in control. God is sovereign. These thoughts hinge on two words, the two words that Paul understood so well. Revelation and faith. Because when you have had a revelation of the cross, of Christ crucified for you, when you have had a revelation of God's love for you, that you are his, then you can stand. You can shake it off. This revelation will build a faith in you that cannot be shaken. A revelation of Jesus, of who he is, what he did, and how he loves you. This is the anchor for your faith. So that no matter where or when your shipwreck happens, because it will happen, we are not immune from shipwrecks. But when it happens, you can stand and shake it off. You can preach the gospel. You can be a leader in the disaster and you can proclaim God's goodness. Paul was no stranger to shipwrecks. When you read through the book of Acts and through his letters, you discover that he was beaten and stoned. Attempts were made on his life numerous times. And in the closing chapters of Acts, you have this story of shipwreck. But Paul never doubted. And when that angel appeared to him on that boat and said to him, you must appear before the emperor. Therefore, God has granted you safety. Paul didn't hesitate to believe. And when we find ourselves in our shipwrecks, we must hold on to the promises that God has made, that he will bring all his works to completion, the good works that he has started in each and every one of us, he will bring to completion so that we can stand and our faith can be strengthened.